the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, welcome to week five of our series, Identity. This week, I'm looking at morality in a world where anything goes and using the text Galatians 5, 13 through to 26. Well, last week, Ben spoke on the topic of certainty in a world in which everything is relative. In the time he had, Ben explained the view of the reformed wing of our evangelical community. And tonight, I've been given another big topic to cover, morality in a world where anything goes. So as I sat at my desk to prepare my talk, I looked across at my bookshelves and counted that I have over 100 books exploring Christian ethics, either the theories or practical applications to particular situations and circumstances. And therefore, in, with only 20 minutes for a talk, like Ben last week, I'm only going to cover some aspects and miss many others out. But I will put up a slide at the end of my talk which will give you some pointers for further reading for those of you who would like to dig a little bit deeper into this topic. Well, let me start by giving you a little challenge. Can you spot the difference between these pictures of Times Square in Manhattan? Now, I wonder how many differences you found. Now, of course, some differences are pretty easy to see. They're obvious. But others are much more subtle, and sometimes we can miss them. For example, did you spot the LG sign? The L was missing. What about the window on the skyscraper on the left top left-hand side? The road markings were all blocked in. The street light and the adverts had even changed directly ahead of you. In the busyness of that picture, did you manage to spot all five differences? Of course, it's worth noting that there are many parts of the two pictures which are exactly the same. Sometimes it can be easier to spot the similarities than spotting the differences. And perhaps you were even convinced that there is a difference which was not actually there. Well, I think this game is a helpful illustration for our current evening series. Over six weeks, we're being encouraged to reflect on our own lives and the lives of those around us. To spot how and why Christians are called to be different, to stand out from the crowd, or called to swim against the flow. Peter, helpfully in his first letter to the Christian community scattered throughout what today is the country of Turkey, tells them and tells us that they were aliens. We find that in 1 Peter verse 1, chapter 1 verse 1, and foreigners in 1 Peter 1 verse 17. So they were aliens and foreigners in the land that they lived. And he goes on in his letters to remind them that the cultural values of the people they lived amongst were not the same as God's values. He encourages the Christian communities to look to God for the values they use to shape their lives and inform their behaviour. And I believe the people of God today in Exeter in the 21st century should also follow Peter's instructions. We ourselves need to remember that our friends, work colleagues and even family members perhaps may look elsewhere for the values which shape how they choose to live. Therefore it should come as no surprise that our behaviour may look, in fact at times, it should look different from those around us. And as in the spot the differences we looked at right at the start, sometimes those differences may be very obvious. 
Sometimes those differences may be more subtle. So let's move on and ask another question. Where do we, where do you, where do I go to discover what God's values are? Now I'm sure the vast majority would agree with me that God's values are primarily revealed through the Bible. Sometimes God's values are very obvious when they're stated directly in passages through explicit teaching and instructions. Can you think of an example yourselves? Immediately I go to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and Paul's household codes when, for example, he tells fathers and masters alongside mothers, slaves, children how to behave. We find those, for example, in Ephesians 6 or Colossians 3. Now sometimes God's values can be seen in more subtle ways when they're revealed through examples of faithful holy living by Jesus or others. In the real life or the characters in some of the parables and narratives. I wonder which ones come to mind straight away. For me it's always Jesus' willingness to follow his father in the garden. Not my will but yours and so he was willing to die on behalf of us. We can read that in a number of places, but here I'm thinking of Matthew 26. Jesus was willing to take up his cross. But also, what about the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? There's another example of faithful, holy living, living out God's values. And finally, sometimes God's values can be even seen through examples of people failing to live them out and ignoring his teaching. Again, I'm not sure what uh, example jumps to mind straight away. For me, it's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Well, tonight, we're not going to use any of those passages. We're actually going to use a short passage, part of a letter Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, which is also in modern-day Turkey, to remind us of God's values and reflect on what lives shaped by these values may look like. These young church communities scattered throughout Galatia were made up of a mixture of ethnic and culturally diverse groups, Jews, Greeks and Romans, etc. Well, according to Paul's letter, at least some of these followers of Jesus continued to live by their previous cultural values and ideas rather than by God's values. So, if you have a Bible with you, then please find Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through to 26. Because in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is trying to correct what some of the church were teaching. Now, as I read the section, try and identify Paul's line of argument. In particular, look behind the behaviour that's listed or the character traits described and focus on the values um, which have helped shape them. For those listening to the recording of my talk, now's the time to just press pause to read the passage yourself and then I'll get going again once you press play. So did you spot the values? Well, to be honest, verses 13 and 14 right at the beginning are the key ones. They serve both as an introduction and, in a way, a summary of Paul's argument. So let me read the verses to you again. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. 
love your neighbour as yourself. So if you had to summarise verses 13 and 14 as a soundbite or a tweet or another form of social media, I wonder what it would be. I thought about this and I came up with this strapline. Freely choose to follow the law of love. Here, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells God's people that they were using their freedom to choose the wrong set of values. They were indulging the flesh rather than serving one another humbly in love. Paul, just as Jesus had done, quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19 verse 18. Galatians 5 verse 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. So Paul tells this Christian community that they must use their freedom to choose the right values by which to live their lives. And throughout this passage, Paul paints a picture of two different lifestyles shaped by two sets of values. Indulging the flesh, we see that in verses 15, verses 19 through to 21, 24 and 26. And then in contrast, living by the spirit in verses 22 to 23 in particular. Well, thinking about summary words or short phrases again, how would you describe or summarise the values or motives behind these contrasting behaviours and character traits revealed in the two lifestyles? Now, if you're using a digital Bible, then switching between Bible translations can be a really helpful way of exploring the values Paul is seeking to highlight, as different translators use different words. Because translators have to wrestle with what concepts and ideas the writers of the Bible are trying to communicate through their choice of particular Greek or Hebrew words. So in this case, they have to try and think what Paul meant by using the phrase often translated, indulged to the flesh. Now many Bible versions do keep to a very literal translation of the Greek in the verse and actually say indulge the flesh as we've read or heard. But the contemporary English version and the message version translate the Greek this way. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. And the New Revised Standard Version is even more clear. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Because all the behaviours and attitudes of the flesh found in this passage come from people choosing to focus on themselves, believing that they're more important than others, that their needs should be satisfied, their desires, their wants come first, that they should get their own way. Well, Paul presents the fleshy lifestyle as the life driven by internal selfish passions and desires. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's playing into a huge debate in, in uh, Greek philosophy about the Stoics and the self-control versus the passionate people. And he's using that to communicate a message about what it means to be a Christ follower. Paul contrasts that self-seeking lifestyle with a spirit-led life of other-seeking. Paul takes his time to list the character traits of someone who serves others humbly in love. Here in verses 22 to 23 we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All of these character traits are best expressed or possibly can only be expressed through interacting with others. 
through the way you live with and relate to them. So Paul presents a very easy, I think, spot the difference in his two contrasting lifestyles. The spirit-led life is not driven by out-of-control passions and desires, but the leading and directing of the Holy Spirit. Paul presents the Christians in Galatia with a choice. How are they going to use their freedom in Christ? Which life are they going to choose? A self-seeking life or an other-seeking life? Now, Paul's argument here links to other themes in his writings, both here and in other letters. Paul's flesh language, with its self-seeking passions and desires, is actually another way of Paul talking about fallen human nature. That old life that these young Christians used to live. The broken, damaged, sin-filled life of fallen or old creation. Now, most of the Christians in Galatia would have been brought up in non-Christian homes. They'd have been educated in pagan practices and ideas. And in the rest of the Galatian letter, Paul reminds, reminds the Christian community that Jesus' death and resurrection has set the Galatians free from their old or former fallen and sinful lives. Jesus has given them new life with the promise of a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth as explored in other of his letters. And in verses 16 and to 18 here, in chapter 5, Paul tells his community to use their freedom to choose life, not death. It's not going to come natural. They're going to have to actively choose to do it. And so these young Christians have to replace their formal, former ungodly values with God's values. Paul calls them to listen to God's Spirit, to walk in step with God's Spirit, to use their freedom to love others, to die to self and live for others, to love God and to love their neighbours. When Greco-Roman and Jewish people watched their Christian neighbours, Christian slaves they had, or Christian relatives, I wonder if they spotted the difference in their lifestyles. That's the challenge that Paul set them. The difference that the lived example, the teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus made in their lives. And this is the challenge that every Christian community down through the century faces. I wonder whether people, our family members, our neighbours, work colleagues and friends can spot the difference in you and me. Whose values do I, do you use to shape your lives? Just as Jews and Gentile converts who accepted Jesus was God's chosen one had to wrestle with what it meant to live as aliens and strangers in Galatia, who had to work out what to leave behind in their new life and what they could carry on with, every generation of Christians has to do the same thing. In order, using the words of Christian ethicist David Gushy, for the formation of communities of Christ followers who will live in the way of Jesus regardless of the direction of world history. Now I think Paul's first century spot the difference in his letter to the Galatians was rather obvious. Old life, sinful life, self-centered life versus new life, redeemed life, other-centered life. I wonder if Paul was writing his spot the difference examples in the 21st century would he use the same language and examples today? Would the spot the difference still be so obvious? Well, all humans are still damaged, broken and fallen. 
but our surrounding culture is certainly not first century Greco-Roman. Are the people today equally as selfish as those Paul was talking about in his letter in the first century? Do people in the 21st century behave in the same way still? Well, our 21st culture is primarily shaped by a combination of neoliberal social ideas mixed with a little bit of social democracy, a touch of communitarianism and some dollops of existentialism. Or, in other words, the values of modern Britain can be described using words such as freedom, democracy, independence, equality and consent. Actually, consent is probably the most important word in contemporary ethics today. Yes, individuals decide what they want to do, but the behaviour must not harm other persons in the process. We certainly hear lots of talk about levelling up, equal rights, equality, fairness, etc. And our culture strongly believes in human rights. That all people should be respected and valued. So that we need to have their consent to do things with them or to them. These beliefs are so very different from first century Greco-Roman culture. So how close are modern 21st century British values compared to God's values? Our own culture has certainly been impacted by God's values through historic state church influence down through the centuries. But Christians are still called to live as aliens and, and strangers since the new heaven and the new earth of Revelation have not yet arrived. Jesus hasn't returned. So although in a contemporary spot the difference, it might be harder to spot the differences than in Paul's first century examples, I do still think they're there. Perhaps the differences are more hidden today than in the past, with human rights language muddying the water. Christians are called to love their neighbours because God values all humans. Why? Because God created them in his image. He created them to work with him and steward his creation. He created them to dwell with him for relationship with him. Now non-Christians in Exeter may also seek to love their neighbours. As a volunteer at Exeter Food Bank, I saw incredible acts of generosity from people across Exeter, giving and helping those in need through, throughout COVID, but that's carried on into the cost of living crisis. But non-Christians behave this way for other reasons, not God's values, different values. It's because they believe humans have value as independent and rational creatures, creatures who possess rights because they are human because humans have invented the concept of human rights. The source of values between Christians and non-Christians are different. For Christians, values are revealed by looking beyond themselves to God. For non-Christians, values are discovered by looking within themselves. Therefore, while we, there will be times when Christians and non-Christians' behaviour looks the same, campaigning for justice, seeking to protect the environment, etc. The source of those values shaping their behaviour are different. But where does that leave you and where does it leave me tonight? Tonight we have only scratched the surface, as I explained right at the beginning of our talk. Only starting to develop an understanding of Christian ethics and behaviour. After all, tonight's most of our thinking has come from a single text, part of Paul's letter to the Galatian Christians. 
But I do think there are a number of important takeaways. Just like the early church in the first century, our behaviour should at times be different from those around us. When it does look the same, we need to remember that the source of our values is different. So why not take the time this week to perhaps reflect on whether your behaviour is different from family, friends and work colleagues. Also, in the words of Galatians 5, as we read verses 13 and 14, ask yourself, am I loving my neighbour? How am I loving my neighbour? What does it look like to love my neighbour? If your behaviour does not look different from the, your neighbours, then also ask yourself, why do I behave as I do? Check you are doing it for God-given reasons. And if you feel brave enough, ask your family, friends or work colleagues what motivates them to behave as they do. As we draw to a close, let me end by reading verses 13 and 14 again to you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Those who would like to explore how to love their neighbour more, then a very accessible book exploring how to live out loving God and loving your neighbour is this one by Scott McKnight. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into Christian ethics, and I've put a range of books which span the breadth of evangelical perspectives up on the screen. Those whose evangelical home is within the Reformed wing, perhaps they enjoy the Gospel Coalition website and read people such as Kevin DeYoung. Vaughan Roberts' book, Distinctives, is a very good starting point. To dig even deeper, Michael Hill's book, The How and Why of Love, is a good introduction to reformed evangelical ethics. Alternatively, many of you may be well familiar with Tom Wright's work, enjoy the videos of the Bible Project, etc. Well, Tom Wright has a book on Christian ethics called Virtue Reborn, where he particularly focuses on Christian virtue ethics, which is a strand of ethics that's become more popular in recent years. And others of you here tonight may feel that your home is more on the left of the evangelical community. You may have enjoyed Rachel Held Evans' writings. You read Peter Enns and others. Well, David Gushy's introduction to Christian ethics is a good starting point. Now, if you're also comfortable with a more academic introduction to the whole area of Christian ethics written from outside of the evangelical community, then Roger Crook is an excellent introduction and it's simply called An Introduction to Christian Ethics, and it's in at least its sixth edition now, and I used to use it as extra reading for my sick formers. So it's a very accessible summary of, of the diverse views within the Christian tradition. But now let me hand you back to Nick to carry on our service as we respond to the challenge of God's value to love our neighbours. Thank you. <laughs>